All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast, episode 93. Jason Lingren is with me, and we have received just oodles and oodles of questions and topics from subscribers of Crow777radio.com. Uh, I think the most we've ever seen. In fact, we're going to have to bleed them into upcoming episodes. We got so many. Um, it's a heck of a, a good thing to see. The community that we've built on my private website, which I built for the expect express purpose of trying to get out from under the aegises of social media purveyors um, is quite a thing. And all this time I have been running Crow777radio.com, I've had to boot nobody. I've removed one comment. Um, And the whole time, think about what I'm saying here. Um, Compared to YouTube, it is a completely troll-free environment. There is constantly an adult conversation going on, and I'm proud to be part of it. Having said that, we put out the call for subscribers to, to give us questions, and we got, I think, more than 100 or close to 100 all in all. And this episode is going to go, I think, over three hours, Jason told me, when he got done with the edit. And we cover everything under the sun, pun intended. Um, this is quite an interesting episode whenever we can get a view of what the subscribers, what the followers, what the community at large is thinking about. Um, so without much further ado, we got a lot to cover here. Let's jump in with Jason Lingren and get into subscriber questions. There it is, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast. This is episode ninety-three. I have Jason Lingren with me, and once again, we are going to do questions and topics submitted by subscribers. We've done it three or four times in the past, and we had one hell of a of a turnout here. We've got so many questions. We'll do the best we can to get through them in this episode. This episode may go a little long, and if we still have uh, remaining content uh, when we've reached the end of our time here, we'll bleed it over into a new episode. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Hello, Crow. So I know a lot of people, I'm going to, right out of the gate, a lot of people have been pinging me about the eclipse. I am on the east coast and had next to no zero view by the time the moon set of the eclipse, just to let people know uh, if I would have had a view. We actually had clear skies. Uh, I would have done something about it, but it's just not possible uh, that the moon was going down as the eclipse was beginning. Anyhow, do you have anything to add before we jump right into questions here? Because we have so many. Don't have anything this week. Okay, the only other thing I can think of is I'm going to be doing a reoccurring spot on Truth Frequency Radio with Billy Ray Valentine, uh, Hacker Hameen. Uh, Generally, I do the first 10, 15 minutes, and I'm only going to do it twice a month now instead of doing it all the time. It's usually Sunday nights. Just let people know. Anyhow, man, if there's nothing else, it's over to you. Let's jump straight into questions here. All right, first question is from Ian. My question concerns chemtrails. I think we are now beyond debating if they are being used. The question now is why? To obscure celestial events? To weaken humanity under depopulation agendas? To fully block out the sun? I heard that theory today. Could there actually be a situation wherein those in charge are actually trying to save us all? Clearly, they have buggered up our reality. What never gets discussed is why. Okay, so let's take this a piece at a time here. Um, We know for certain that they are using uh, weather manipulation and chemtrails are a part of that or what's been called chemtrails. I think some of the serious researchers are trying to move away from that word, but I've just used it for so long it's hard for me to switch. Um, But we know certainly Patrick Roddy, uh, Matt Landman, many others showing that they are using EMF and other things to activate the metallic-like particles they're spraying up there 
weather and that they are creating, steering, controlling weather in one way, shape or form. Um, yes, they're blocking a hell of a lot of sunlight. And yes, it's not good for us because it's been shown time and time again that, uh, that what they're putting up there has heavy metals in it. So it's not good for our health. Um, Jason, would you add anything? Well, first of all, yes, there is no doubt that they're doing it. That That's beyond any question at this point. That's right. And we know that they're spraying us with heavy metal chemicals and that companies like Monsanto have patents out for gene seeds that can thrive in those different uh, environments. So whatever it is they're trying to do overall, and I know there's still some debate about this, the uh, powers that be seem to have a plan in mind to deal with it. Right. So anyone who's truly interested should follow someone who does this full time. Um, I used to put in a lot of time filming it way, way back years ago. Um, truth is, they have um, people like Matt Landman have found the documents that show the beginnings of the plans for the spraying campaigns that we now see. Um, both Patrick Roddy and Matt Landman have recently showed that all these years they were saying, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. You conspiracy people are crazy. You're all on drugs. Um, and lo and behold, now that little denial has changed from, yeah, we're doing it, but we can't stop or we're all going to die. And I would add on the tail of this global warming is nonsense. Um, we live in a near near perfect system from our point of view. If that is correct, it's not possible for any living thing on this planet to destroy the place or for the system to fail in any way, shape or form. Uh, and that sets aside all the things from firsthand op observation where we're being told that, you know, the coastlines are going to go underwater and all this other nonsense. I've lived on coastlines my whole life. The water level is not rose one iota um anyhow jason we better keep burning through these we've got so many to get through second question is from Faye. until more recent times the sky was a deep blue and the sun was yellow and although it was never a good idea to look directly at the sun it was possible to give it a glance and then turn it away that is just not possible anymore not even to glance in its immediate direction it is a burning bleeding white I clearly recall standing on a corner one summer's day in the late 90s, taking in a cloudless sky and seeing the daylight, which should have been brilliant, but somehow was dimmed. Something was different. Something was wrong. Something is wrong with the sun. Do you have thoughts on what is happening to our sun? Okay, first of all, there's nothing wrong with the sun. The sun goes in cycles. I would agree with you that it used to look more yellow. As a matter of fact, I had a person make the analogy that when we were in grade school and kids drew pictures of the sun, what color was the sun when they drew it? It was not white, it was yellow. And I know that's a bit of a an analogy at best. Uh, I too realized and thought about it for a long time because so many people were considering whether the sun had become a more brilliant white. The oldest accounts you can look up, the sun does have cycles. Modern people will tell you it's an 11-year cycle. Whether or not you choose to believe that, I can't tell you what to do. I'd have to watch the sun for 11 years carefully um, to try to make some kind of a determination. Uh, as far as not being able to look at the sun, plenty of people out there have understood there's a thing called sun gazing. And I will preface everything I'm about to say by saying do not stare at the sun. Um, unless you know what you are doing. There are certain times of the day when you can begin to train yourself to, to basically stare straight at the sun called st sun gazing, but you start with minuscule amounts of times, a few seconds, and each day you add to that. You only do it at sunup and sundown when there's a lot yet less UV because it's low on the horizon, these types of things. Again, do not look at the sun unless you know what you're doing. It's a bit like, I've said this before, giving a baby a jalapeno. You wouldn't do that. Um, people who want to eat jalapenos are adults, and they usually work their way up to eating something hot like that. There's an analogy. 
But in terms of something being wrong with the sun, I don't accept that. Everything in the system is cyclical. Now, the arguments being made uh, that we're looking at, you know, technology up there, you know, I've seen some pretty strong evidence. I don't know what to make of it. And unfortunately, I have not had as much time as I would like to be able to whip out my tools and monitor the sun. And believe me, if when I get a chance to do it again, the moon will be a lot less my focus and the sun a lot more. Um, anything, Jason? Well, I think you and I are both old enough to certainly say that we remember a time when the sky was bluer and the sun was more yellow. Yeah, I think we can agree on that. Um, in terms, look, if if we're looking at things in, the, in what we call the natural system, this appears to be a perfect system. And if if that's a true statement, and this is based on a lot of you know, research on the very oldest texts I can get my hands on. Right now I'm reading Manilius, uh, which is supposed to be the oldest account of astrology from that time we can get our hands on. For whatever those things are worth, if this is truly a perfect system, the nature portion, um, it's not, it's going to do what it's going to do, and it's going to do it on time. Now, that's not to say that there hasn't been technology brought to bear. And with, in, in regard to the sun, I have seen a lot of strong evidence to show, and chemtrails is part of that, um, that they may be screwing uh, with our view and how we receive sunlight. Anyhow, Jason. All right. Third question is from Dingame. Is it definitive that the sun creates daylight? Your explanation of the sun's path in degrees in the sky is important to note, but since we are all unsure of what the surface area of this plane is, I'm not sure. I'm just wondering if the sun is the trigger of daylight, or is the sun following something that leads its path? Well, for my money, I would say the sun lights our world. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure I understand exactly what you're asking here, um, but I don't think there's any doubt that we can get up early in the morning, watch the sunrise, and watch the day become light as a result. But I kind of get the sense I might be missing the point of your question here. Um, do you read anything more into this, Jason? Well, it sounds like they want to know, is the sun itself actually what's giving us our light? You know, there are people who have made some very strong arguments that what allows us to detect sunlight or even look at the sun itself is that we're in a 3D uh, material construct. And without the material part of that, we wouldn't be able to detect these things. The idea being that if space was truly a vacuum, which I do not accept it is, and you were in that vacuum looking at the sun, you wouldn't be able to see it because there's no matter to let you know that there's light there. Um, don't know how, how close I came to answering that, but there are some interesting people um, that have said some very fascinating things about the sun. Jason, help me out with the name of the gentleman there. Uh, the, the guy, the electrical genius who was, uh, who's basically become homeless. Yeah. Eric, um, Dollard. Yeah. Eric Dollard. Okay. So people can look up Eric Dollard. He's got some interesting takes on the sun. That's the best I can do for that. Yeah. This is another one of those things that unless we can go up there ourselves and really do some research, hard to say. Well, there will come a point when I get scopes back on the sky and when I do, the sun's probably going to be my main focus. All right. Question number four. Jana Gatian. Hi there. If all of history and events of the present are choreographed to, astro to astrological signage and phenomena, which I feel they are based on evidence, observation, pattern recognition, and common sense, then wouldn't we look at what the stars are implying about today and the near future? Not that I think that stuff is readily available, I think, and again, just my opinion, that that knowledge has long been sequestered away and used as the basis for all control system decisions. Nefarious, sure. A great mystery to be solved, that too. 
Perhaps this crescendo of craziness in the world, this manufacturing of constant distraction, extreme polarity, and chaos, is architected in the control system's hope of stopping or postponing an astrological shift that is not in their favor. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's a well-thought-out um, comment, and I agree with, with basically the tenor of what you're putting forward here. Um, yeah, most of us think that things like astrology are hokum. I say over and over on this podcast, the zodiac is not hokum. It's how we place the sun. Clearly, we can show that so much of the nonsense we cover is encoding aspects of the sun or the sky um, to include our calendars, to include false events that we see. So, yeah, man, it's important for everyone to start to get a better overview of astrologically what's going on in the natural world that we live live in. And as for the last part of your question, yeah, I would suspect that every everything we can look at from a tree to anything else in this natural world starts as a seed and it grows. Why should we be any different? We could be on the precipice of a real mental shift here. It sure seems like we are. So many people waking up um, to the old realities that don't seem good enough anymore. So it's quite possible in my view that one of the main views of things like chemtrails, messing with sunlight, any number of these things we can point to are designed to retard our consciousness. Certainly the television and movies are designed to do that very thing. Jason? Well, I'm going to reiterate what I said on the astrotheological episode, that I have no doubt, not that we can prove it, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least that the powers that be are obscuring what the real dates and dating systems are so that they can use their accuracy to that advantage for themselves, but we do not. We, we can prove it to some degree, Jason, because when we went to, uh, what is it, the Naval Observatory there in Washington, we learned that they're still tracking the Julian calendar. Why would you do that? Um, you know, they've changed our calendar. They've moved the first of the year to the wrong month. They've done ridiculous things like add daylight savings time, and then they've mishmashed our year into this bizarre 12-cycle you know, division of a year where months have this many days or that many days, then there's a leap year, all these nonsensical things to confuse time. But we've asserted so often that history is a lie agreed upon. And part of the obscuring of that history, in my view, is the changing of calendars and times. After all, why would the Naval Observatory even bother to track Julian time at this point? And as we got into looking at the birth and death cycle of royals, we found that half of those people have their their birth dates and death dates listed in the Julian calendar. So, yeah, man, there's definitely something to this uh, and the particular the obscuring of the actual true chronology of this place we live, in my view, anyhow. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Question five is from Caitlin. Why trust these basic elements of the celestial sky if they are constructs as well? How do you ever get to separate separate the wheat from the chaff? Because then you have to find a reason to assume there is a wheat somewhere to get to. But where is that reason if every observation shows up as a construct? You know, this is the problem with talking in the way we do when we use the word construct, because there comes a point where everybody just says everything's fake. And the fact is, is we're all living and breathing here. So that's really not helpful to jump into that 110 percent. I recently was reading some very old texts, and this analogy might be helpful. Um, While we are stuck in a material reality, um, we are limited by our bodies. We are limited by the material world, and they will only allow us to see so far. Even the most spiritually adept among us will hit a ceiling, apparently, according to everything that I've researched and studied. 
to call the sky itself, the stars, the moon, a construct, while it may be accurate in one way, it may be unhelpful in another. It is, in fact, the clock for our world. And in the same way, we see a tree. And when it comes to fall, it will set seed. When it comes to winter, it will go dormant. We know these things are doing things. So to take them as a whole, as completely fake, I think is the wrong point of view. Hope that helps. I mean, there's no doubt that it's the clock in the sky. And what we can't trust is some of the mainstream notions put out there about uh, how, how they're measuring it. The, the most accurate thing would be is if we had people like us who have been measuring it for years and years and years to use as our basis. There's no getting away from that almost every civilization or supposed civilization we can look at has had to do with the sky. There's no getting away from the fact that almost everything in the Western world is encoded to the sun, our religions, all these things have aspects of the sky in it. The problem for the construct portion of things is not necessarily the objects that we're talking about or supposed objects, but the information that has been lied about that lets us know the value of why these things have been tracked. Maybe that's the best I can do. Number six is from Nancy. This may sound stupid, but I am wondering how the wind can blow if the whole atmosphere is connected and moving with the earth. Just sounds like a violent conflict. Or maybe I should never have posted this because it sounds like an insane thought. Well, I'm not sure I can absolutely tell you why the wind would blow, but what I can tell you with pretty exact certainty is that the wind that's blowing now has been modified or all of our weather has it appears to me like a lot of it and again you can get to people like patrick roddy and matt landman who look at this full time is that they are pulsing things like emf up into a conductive spray that they've put up there to control high pressure low pressure these kinds of things the gulf stream you know steering these types of things so in my view uh the weather blowing these days is made by men and uh i don't know where you're at jason yeah, I, I agree that uh, the weather is minimally being steered, if not full out controlled. Kind of hard to say if they've got 100% control over it, but at this point it wouldn't surprise me. But I also think you need to think of the fact that the atmosphere is in layers, and even if what we have been shown of the Earth from a distance is wrong, it still seems to act in that kind of way because weather prediction has still been fairly accurate uh, even before the, the geoengineering started you know, meteorologists can get it pretty close. Right. I would suggest go check out Patrick Roddy. He does a lot of work using uh, supposed satellite imagery and other weather-based things where he's just basically pointing out, look, EMF is being used here. Um, when I was in San Diego all those years ago filming chemtrails, when people were first becoming aware of them, uh, I regularly saw like this beach sand pattern in one portion of the sky. And as an ex-radio operator in the Marine Corps, I began to realize that frequencies were being blasted up into this artificial cloud deck they were putting there. But anyhow, I don't know what else I can add there, Jason. Question seven from Yoasam. I see there is going to be another supermoon this week. In fact, a super blue blood moon. These supermoons seem to be occurring more and more frequently. Do you think there's any significance to this? Well, basically, supermoon just means, I think, if I remember the definition correctly, that it's closest to us, so it appears to be bigger. Um, no, there's there's no big, you know, it's just these titles they use to get people intrigued, like blood moon. It was not a blood moon. Uh, the only proper usage of blood moon, I've covered this in the past, is they're just adding fear and blood and gore to a thing that 
has no place for it. A true blood moon would have been near fall back in the day. I forget which month was typically assigned that name, and it just meant that we're done with the harvest. We've got to kill things now. But they use blood moon indiscriminately any old time they want. And I would also point out that even by their own description, the color of an eclipse is going to be determined by all the sunrise and sunsets on Earth, which is nonsensical. But can you predict the color of a sunrise or a sunset? Not really. Um, all these things are obscured. In terms of the eclipse that just happened this morning uh, that I couldn't see here from the East Coast, uh, it was a supermoon. It was not a blood moon. But here's the rub for me. In so many places I saw it reported, they failed to give the time of the starting of the eclipse. Or if they did, uh, they did it in an offhand way and then gave very good time for the NASA video feed, almost like they didn't want people to go out and look at the actual event and film the actual event. They wanted to rely on NASA. And I would further point out, have we had a recent NASA feed that didn't fail? Um, I'm not sure. I don't look at them, but I hear it reported all the time. Um, anyhow, Jason. Let's go with number eight, EST 1970. First question. Will you be doing any filming or live streaming of this thing that hasn't been seen for 150 years? I think we've already answered that. Right. The extremely potent super blood blue moon eclipse in the sign of Leo. Second question. Do you think there are people who have the wrong idea of the meaning to be awake or enlightenment? Isn't this process more of an individual responsibility to overcome the way we think of ourselves as objects bestowed with sentience, perceivers of the world, stumbling our way through life, burdened by circumstances over which we have no control, all the while pretending that we do? And then always lurking in the back of our mind is the knowing that ultimately we are going to die. Yeah, you know, I guess where I'm at, in this world is that we're here to learn and we're here to grow uh, a bit like a boot camp, maybe for lack of a better term. Uh, if it's not that, I can't make heads nor tails out of why we have to go through all the suffering and hardship. Um, from the oldest things that I've ever studied and read uh, almost to a document, the idea here is, is that we have to grow up as human beings. In my view, the idea of enlightenment is a human being who has gone as high as they can go in the material reality, preparing for whatever next. Um, go ahead, Jason. I agree with that. I've always felt pretty much since I was a child that this is schoolhouse earth is one term I've heard bantied about that you're here to spiritually advance yourself in some way, shape or form. And some of us, I would think, who may have done this a few more times than others might actually be here to help others along to steer things in a positive way. I can't prove any of that. I don't think any of us can, but that's just how things have always felt to me. Well, Here's another thing. In almost everything I've read, even the modern uh, religious traditions of the West, the idea is, is that there's an indestructible portion of a human being. Some might call it the soul, the spirit, the mind, however it's gone at, um, that when the body perishes, that so something else of us goes on. Uh, I'm not even going to try to address that. what might that be, but I will say this. Um, I read a very old manuscript recently that had to do with alchemy of people who claimed they were adept and had actually left this world uh, the only way you can with your mind, so maybe a bit like meditation, this kind of idea. What they were putting forward is, yeah, we did, we all go on, but reincarnation back into this place is not possible. Once you've done it, you've done it. The analogy they use is once an, a, an acorn has become an oak tree, does the oak tree become an acorn again? Um, just to throw out those ideas, Jason. Third question. 
If time and space are objectively real, can there be prior to time or beyond space? I'm really interested in alchemy and nature. Your insight of the subject was the first for me. I haven't heard anyone touch on this at all. Never heard that word in my life or that S word, which I'm guessing they mean spagyrics. Not bragging, but I really do have a green thumb from the very first thing I planted. Gardening has been a big part of my life, and I also think when I see wildlife, such as squirrels, what do they know that I do not? What what was the main? Let me see here, Jason. What's the main question here? Time and space. Okay, I, okay. So I I think probably we can assume that time, as we experience, has to do here is within a three D or four D material reality. Um, everything I've ever read about adepts or other things say that all these things we experience to include time or spatial reality change uh, when you get beyond materialness. Um, not sure if that helps much, Jason. And I would think that that has to do with what frequency you're vibrating at on a conscious spiritual level. Kind of hard to explain this stuff, but even during meditations, you'll find that your perception of linear time changes. Right. These things, it's hard to speak about these things because we're not adepts, are we? Um, You know, I've read recently some things of people who were claimed flat out they were adepts and challenged. You know, they went even like Blavatsky and Crowley and said these people are full of prunes. Um, And if they're not full of prunes, we invite them to prove that they're not. Some of these things were written all the way back in the 18th century. Some of them were written up near the beginning of the 19th century, which would have been in the the realm of the two people just mentioned. Um, They went at so much of the theosophy saying that it's nonsense, making the claim that we are adepts and we know better, uh, and you can challenge us any day of the week. If you want to know things, uh, I guess you've got to research and you've got to elevate as a person. Unfortunately, I'm not an adept, so I can't add anything more here. Next question, number nine, from Caitlin. Hi, Crow. I must know what the hell is causing phases of the moon if it cannot be the sun's reflection. What does it seem to correlate to the position of the sun if it does correlate at any point? This one deserves more attention because the more you think about it, the more insane it becomes. Best thoughts, best hypothesis of yourself or others. What Hattie Bob thinks, anything. Um, I don't really have much to do with Hattie Bob anymore. As people remember, I thought he may have been the only person who ever described the lunar wave. But by the time we got translations and he started to talk about alien spiders, I didn't think it was helpful anymore. But to get back to the first part of this... You know, the moon is a heck of a thing. Uh, What we know about the moon, in my view, is very damn little. There are even accounts of people who went back to try to prove that the moon uh, has directly to do with the tides of this world. And some quotes like, that is where reason goes to die, came out of those people simply trying to prove what we all accept is is true, that, that the moon has to do with tides, which apparently is not so cut and dry. I do not accept that is the case. In terms of how the phases of the moon happens, I don't think we have any clue. I think the moon lights itself. And not only that, during the last solar eclipse, I showed outright, demonstrated outright, inarguably in my point of view, that the moon plays no role in a solar eclipse. If that is correct, then what we know about the moon, we could probably fit in a thimble. Jason. Yeah, I would say that uh, more research needs to be done on the scientific aspects we can measure, such as moonlight and sunlight having different properties, I'd say that's very important and would need to be measured on a more long-term scale just to try and even remotely get some heads or tails around this. But I don't think we truly know, do we? Well, consider if, in fact, I am correct and what I have put forward and shown around solar eclipses is correct, 
it points to the rough size of whatever it is that does eclipse the sun or the sun itself, and it shows that the moon plays no role. If these things are true, what the hell, do we know anything about the moon? I would suggest very little. Anyhow, man. Question 10 from Pio. Is there any proof that the moon affects the tides? If the moon's gravitational <laughs> presence is pushing the water, why don't tides always move away from where the moon is in the sky? A lot of the time, the water seems to easily float towards the moon, sideways to it. In fact, it appears not at all concerned about where the moon is. All I can add here is I don't accept that the moon has anything to do with tides, um, and I don't accept gravity. We can talk about gravity on the day it quits being a theory. When I hear the word theory in the modern age of scientists, what I hear in my head is BS, walk away. Um, you want to talk about things, let's talk about laws. Gravity is a theory, so for me, I'm not even going to pay attention to it. Um, in terms of the moon, we just pointed out, you know, uh, if the things we have said demonstrated everything from the lunar wave all the way up to solar eclipses, if any of that has value or any correctness, we don't know uh, next to nothing we know about the moon. Jason. Yeah, right there with you. I think we don't know exactly what's really going on with it, and we would need to study it in a way that has not been done yet to get any real answers. Question 11 from Get Barreled. Meteors and Comets. What could they be, assuming there could be a hard, fast barrier to keep Earth a closed system? Have you heard of the theory of physical continuity of the universe as popularized in the book Worlds Beyond the Poles? Any thoughts on this theory as a model of reality? No, I haven't read that, but I can say this. Yeah, man, we live in a closed system in my view. There's never been anything from what we call space, like a rock or some other thing coming in. Um, what those fiery things in the sky are, couldn't tell you. But I can tell you that since I've been here in Rhode Island, uh, we have seen numbers of them. My wife, too, that are weird colors, for one thing. They're green a lot and parallel to the ground. Uh, if these were rocks coming in from space, they would not be parallel to the ground. Um, as a matter of fact, they light up moving parallel to the ground and burn out parallel to the ground. Can't tell you what they are, but I can say um, one of the first things I ever looked at that was interesting when I first got my first big telescope in the 90s was Comet Hale-Bopp. And I was so disappointed, and then I went back and read, well, if you want to look at a comet, you don't use a telescope, you need binoculars, it's a way better view, which is actually a true thing. But comets are a strange thing, and I wish I'd had more time over the years to study them. Um, they come when they come, and uh, they really are weird. When you look at them through a scope, they almost look translucent, and they look like they're not moving at all. It's funny. When, when you watch Hollywood films, they always show those comets moving. That ain't what it's like in real life. But to top it off, back in the day, every comet, every picture of a comet I had ever seen was white with maybe some bluish in it. Almost all the modern comets are green now. Strange things. Can't can't tell you what they are or, or anything else, but I can tell you they're not in our atmosphere. Now, a lot of the shooting stars I've seen are also very green. Yeah, that's a new thing, Jason. You know, I... One thing about what we call shooting stars, we're being told or meteorites falling to Earth, anyone who spends, you know, six, eight hours a night out with a telescope all the time, you're going to see hundreds of them. During the course of a year, you're going to see more of them than you can count. And so many of them in San Diego, when I was still hard at the scope work, were these weird, almost pastel colors. Some of them had kind of reds in them, yellows, but a lot of greens. And this is not historically what we have seen. So... Not sure what to make of it. All right, number 12 is from Theodore. Good morning, Crow and Jason. My question is this. Who is spraying the skies with chemtrails and why? 
Who is the one entity that says yes or no to the spraying? I have thought about this in a very deep and detailed manner. <laughs> it's kind of a catch-22. I think I'm going to do a dodge here and point you to people who follow it full-time. People like Patrick Roddy and Matt Landman have actually tracked back documents. My Patrick Roddy recently spoke with some guy who's running for Senate, I think. Um, these people might have a better idea, but it's pretty clear there's an overarching control grid that we don't really know that much about in this world. We point to royalty. We like to say Rockefeller. We like to say Rothschilds. But in my view, those are probably the names that are publicly here for us to kick around and the true controlling structures above that. And of course, we could talk about uh, black nobility and the Gelfs, these kinds of things, but I'm not sure how to answer that. You, Jason? Yeah, I think you can get some kind of an answer when you look at it objectively. Let me put it this way. It's, it's a worldwide phenomenon. We know this. So the military industrial complexes of the various governments of the world have to be doing this because it couldn't just be the United States. They wouldn't be able to get planes there to be doing all this stuff coming from over here. As far as we know, they just don't have the fuel to get that far and do what they do. So there seems to be some sort of worldwide agreement between certain aspects of different countries' governments to put these things into place or else they wouldn't be going on on a worldwide scale. So definitely it's got to be government in some way, shape, or form because if it wasn't allowed to be happening, they'd get shot down for being in airspace uh, that they shouldn't be in. Not only that, Jason, you know, five years ago or whatever it was when I was really hard on chemtrails, at that time, so many of the planes were coming across San Diego on a certain path, and the planes had no markings, no numbers, no nothing. And I know this certainly. I got telescopes on them. I got huge telephotos with doublers on them, and then occasionally there'd be a stripe. As time went on, this began to change, and more and more different kinds of planes uh, were contributing to the chemtrailing. But early on, there were so many white unmarked planes, and it's clear. You can't just jump in an unmarked plane uh, unless you have have government and the highest echelons of you know any given country behind you. But again, like Jason pointed out, there's borders in this world. And for some reason, chemtrails don't recognize borders. All right. Number 13 from Hurricane Truth. Do rainbows prove we live under a dome or firmament? Is Earth motionless? And does Aries failure prove this? Could we get your theory on what Earth looks like? Uh, I wish I could tell you what Earth looks like. I can tell you that it's misdescribed. And I have looked at the idea of the arc of a rainbow showing the actual arc or a version of the arc as what I call the hard Faust boundary between our atmosphere and what we call space. I think there's a there there. Um, but this is like anything else, man. Someone's got to put in a hell of a lot of time uh, to look into these things. And rainbows like comets come when they come, not like you can look up when the next rainbow is going to be in the sky. So, Jason? I mean, there's obviously some validity to the light spectrum being broken up. That's what you're seeing. But as far as what it could represent on a larger scale, you're correct. You, you can't predict rain, rainbows, so more study would have to be done on this. Right. Um, but the idea that there is an arc, and um, a lot of people have shown... You can go look up videos, even like double rainbows, where they start to show the the angle of the arc and these types of things. But again, um, you know, a lot more. Someone out there who is not an official science person, you know, just an average person who is not dim-witted needs to take a good long look at these things and put forth whatever they can. Uh, if there's a there there, then what they put forth may stick to the wall. If not, then we need to know more again. Number 14 is from Andrew. I know that the sky is a clock. 
Is it possible to calculate the age of Earth by that clock? Also, by calculating the age of the Earth, is it possible to find out the end of that clock? I believe the sun, moon, and stars have an end. Yeah, I mean, this is part of what's being hidden, and this is why so much of the false chronology we get is coded to the sky. Someone out there absolutely knows about the cycle of time. Uh, you know, I've read endless accounts that what the cycles of time means is one of the closest held secrets of any organization, good or bad. And uh, clearly there are people out there, in my view, who understand when this age started, when the last one ended, and what the possibilities and potentialities out of any given cycle of time may be, and they play on this. It's a bit like going out to play a football game and one team has the playbook and the other does not. Um, that, in my view, in terms of things coming to an end, yeah, every created thing sees its end. Um, you know, I've said it often about the construct we live in and this kind of ruling class of people who put out so much falseness into our world. Truth is, that's a constructed thing. It will see its end. Um, there's hope. But in terms of the world and the stars and the earth, I suspect they will be here a lot longer than we will. So I'm not, not certain that it really matters how long they will go from our point of view. And there's certainly a uh, measurable procession of the sky. So we do know that those things could be followed through. But as far as a verifiable end in the far, far future, I think that's kind of hard to say. Well, for anyone who's interested, go look at the idea of the old Hindu, uh, ancient Indian ideas of the Kali Yugas or the Yugas of time. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, you got to be careful and you've got to use your BS barometer too. You need authentic sources. Um, you need good old documentation, but they have gone at this and the amount of work that's been put into it and the cycles of time they're talking about are truly astounding. And here's another thing. They're using the one through nine numerological systems. System. And Jason and I have showed that zero has no natural reality. Well, here's a group of ancients supposedly using a number system that does not recognize zero. And that adds authenticity in my point. By the way, in all those old yuga countings, the magic key number is nine or the completion number. Anyhow, Jason. 15 is from Blue Lights. What do you think causes the Northern Lights? And do you think it's part of a projection system from some hidden land? For example, Mount Maru with the four rivers the biblical Eden, Agartha, Shambhala, Atlantis, etc.? Or, if land exists, is it a negative, dangerous underworld such as Hades? I am reminded of the myth of Pollux and Castor being permitted to share, so to being permitted to timeshare, so to speak, between worlds. Is there validity to the paths to get there, such as Olaf Jansen's Hollow Earth Theory, uh, Hollow Earth Journey, and the Smoky God, which was the name of the book, Mount Shasta, Kentucky Caves, King Solomon's Mine, or are they guarded by military bases or other entities? Are there signs left to us of this past, knowing like the strange metal spheres of Costa Rica, Easter Island statues, or Libyan sea glass? Seems like you're going at a couple things here at the same time, blue light. From my point of view, the northern lights are just some natural phenomena. Um, and when we can't get a satisfying answer to things that we have truly examined, my main rule is use common sense. Um, using common sense, I don't accept hollow earth. I don't ex accept any of these things because there's really no basis for them other than stories that can't be verified. Uh, that's a wholly other thing when we're talking about the northern lights because we can go back through any number of very old 
old writings or supposedly very old writings and hear people talk about them. Um, the last part of this, let's see. Oh, um, yeah, it, it's quite possible that there are still things from maybe a prior age in our world. But again, I would point out that at some point in the future, Jason and I may take on the monolithic structures to try to show that they are much. They were created much uh, more closely to our current age than we've been led to believe. Anyhow, anything you'd add, Jason? No, I'm right there with you. The Northern Lights do seem to be a natural phenomenon, if not a very interesting one. If I had to guess, it's about um, magnetism uh, and electricity. Number 16 from Firethorn007. Do you think we can even rely on the sky, as it seems they may have the technology to project into the sky? Well, as a rule, I would suggest that we can look back through time and there's never been a group of peoples that mattered, that were intelligent, that could write accounts that did not use the sky. As a matter of fact, I would further point out, which I've said so often recently, we're all born naked into this natural system. This natural system, or what we call the natural system, tells us what we can and cannot do while we're alive here in this condition. Um, that sky is the clock. Now, is it possible that they're going to bring technology to screw with the sun and other things? I suppose it is. We're getting very advanced in our technologies. But in the meantime, uh, yeah, I think everyone should take the time to understand the sky much more thoroughly than they do, to include the sun and the moon, to include the idea of a more natural calendar than the construct we live under. Um, I don't know. How close did I come there, Jason? Well, the easiest thing to point out would be Project Bluebeam, which is an admitted project that they can do projections of the sky. Whether or not they can control the entire sky and have the celestial objects change, be changed from their natural procession, I don't know. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but it wouldn't surprise me in the years to come. Well, it's the same rule, too. All created things will see their end. If there is some kind of a technology creating an illusion, uh, that technology is going to fail at some point. It's just like the electricity in your house, maybe not as at the whim of weather or other things that may interrupt it. But think about the responsibility of putting up a grand illusion, getting a world to believe in it um, when there's the possibility of failure at any given time. Uh, it doesn't seem likely to me. Yeah, I agree with that. Number 17 from Slaughterer. Learning about the different facets of the construct we find ourselves in can be psychologically crippling, and many people end up quite unsettled, to say the least. What philosophical rationalizations do you employ to keep your heads above water and to keep you grounded? For example, do you find comfort in principalities, in virtues such as truth, honesty, justice, love, etc.? Do you consider that in order for us to experience virtue in this world, its antithesis must exist? To answer your last thing first, yeah, man, uh, if a battery is going to work, it's going to have a positive side and a negative side. If we're going to know what light is, we're going to have to know what darkness is. So I think the last part is self-evident. Um, in terms of people getting overwhelmed, we address this a lot. And here's one thing that I think will help most people listening. When you begin to understand the degree of fraud, uh, which we've all been indoctrinated into, uh, it is a bit like the five stages of grief, but you do get beyond it. But here's the important point I would make. Up to the point you realize the nonsense that is all around you, you have been pretty much convinced that someone can push a red button and a nuke can destroy the whole world. You have been convinced that your neighbor may be a mass murderer, that there are going to be 52 rapes in your county today, that tonight a few houses are going to burn down, suffering hatred, murder, murder, murder. These are the things you're going to be convinced of. 
when you begin to see through that illusion, you get the understanding that this world is far more peaceful than it has been portrayed to you before you came to understand the nonsense of it all. And when you begin to get to that place, it is a real comfort because you can look out on this world with new eyes and understand that that person I'm looking at is probably just like me. And although there are bad apples in every barrel, the majority of people you will ever meet just want to be happy, just want to be fed, just want to raise their children. And this is not the constructual view we're handed nonstop. And there's a reason for these things. There's a mental retardation that comes with buying into this fear porn. There is a separation of the human condition and human spirit and buying into the fact that somewhere in this world, there's another race of people that aren't even quite human. They're just like animals and need to kill a few hundred people every day. It's all nonsense. So I can add that. Now, as far as what do we do to stay grounded and all that, I personally have developed a very good capability to separate myself on a logical and emotional basis from the information that we delve into. And I just try to live a normal life. I have a family. I I enjoy certain things. And I, I try to take comfort in those things and not let the fact that there's a bunch of what do you want to call them? Controllers, people who want to do bad things to manipulate the rest of us. Of course, they exist, so you kind of just have to accept and do what you can against it, but you can't let it dominate every aspect of your life because that's not really living, is it? There's another aspect to all this falsehood and this construction, you know, kind of place we live. Almost all of it is opt-in. Almost all of it is designed to get your mind to believe in things it shouldn't, to buy into fear porn, to buy into fantasy, but to opt into things that are not helpful. When you begin to understand these things, you quit opting in. And um, I'll take myself as an example. I can't remember. You know, I haven't watched, I think, 30 seconds of Trump since the time he started to run for president. That's not a part of my life. I don't watch news. I don't watch any of these things. And that does keep me grounded because then what am I paying attention to? I'm paying attention to my wife, to my family, to going outside and and doing something today. And that truly is grounding. So I'll add that. Absolutely. Take comfort in the small things. You know, a really good cup of coffee, going on travels to see new things. You know, I like history, so I like going to New Orleans and wandering around the French Quarter, things like that. That's what I recommend to anybody, because that, that, the more you, more you get into this and the more time you put into it, you have to be able to detach yourself from it or it will drive you batty. Give it what it's worth, and most of it's not worth a blink, a wink, or a second, or a brain cycle. Um, and when you realize these things, then there's a whole life you can lead without them. Number 18 is from Bodinus. What is your opinion and recent research, if you have time to delve into it, on the fake sun, solar generator, not only the one that has been presented to the sheeple, but one we can photograph and stare at in dismay? I have witnessed two suns on two occasions with my companion. We have also seen an octagonal sun. During the summer of 2016, our tomatoes were ripening inside better than outside. Our neighbors were complaining of the same ripening problem, and what about this sun that either feels cold or burns? You know, a lot of this could have to do with what they're spraying in the air, particularly with regard to plants. But let's get back to the first assertion you made here um, about a fake sun or solar generator. As I stated earlier, when I get back on scope and I'm able to spend an amount of time that matters behind my optical tools, again, the sun will be my focus. And I would point out when you see two lit bodies in the sky, 
you can't assume you're looking at two two suns. For all you know, you're looking at a reflection off the hard foul boundary we're pretty sure is there or something else altogether. It takes time, it takes video evidence, and it takes a clear, common sense-based mind to start to get at these things. And more than anything I've just mentioned, it takes a hell of a lot of time. It's like anything else in this world, man. It's like learning to play piano. If you want to learn to play piano and you give it one day a week, it's going to take you a while. If every day you wake up and give that piano some time, you quickly become to understand what's possible on the piano and quickly start to improve what you can do with the piano. Nothing in this world is anything different than that analogy in my view. When you focus on a thing, when you come at it with common sense, clear head, you're going to learn things. And in terms of the sun, I think a lot of people make a lot of assumptions without too much to back it up. Sometimes there's an interesting piece of video, single piece of video, or an interesting still. While these are interesting, you can't base much on it. It needs to be replicated. It needs to be looked at for a reasonable amount of time to make any any assumptions at all. And I agree with that. 19 is from Tim Dolgols. As for a question, how about where is space or where are the planets? We always refer to space as up there, but the more I read and research, up there may be pretty finite. So if the planets exist, where are they? Does it have to do with the poles of the Earth, which still seem to be very underexplored for my taste? (laughs) To say the least, I don't accept anything about the South Pole. Um, How often have we seen one of the little royal princes there standing by the silver ball or Anthony Bourdain for some reason is allowed in. But 52 nations guard that border so none of the rest of us can go check it out. And meanwhile, we're told that there's more land than exists in the United States and Europe put together beyond the South Pole. Uh, All nonsense in my ears. But we don't know. The first part of your question, we're not sure. You know, we're still trying to work out what's going on with the moon and the sun and you know the anything else we see up there is going to be in the same boat from my point of view we have reached a point in time where there are numbers of us not ready to swallow the pill anymore and that's the starting point so in my view the short answer is hey man we're a bunch of babies crawling in diapers and we're doing the best we can to walk on two legs and get rid of the diapers but that's going to take some time well the blunt answer is we're trying to figure that out What is space? What are we looking at? What are these lights in the sky? We don't know, but we certainly want to know. We know what we know what space is not. Space is not Star Trek. Space is not Star Wars. And those were a couple of the tools used to insert into our minds this idea of what space is. And so uh, I can't tell you what it is, but I'm pretty sure I can tell you what it isn't. Number 20 is from Marnie 45. Just heard a radio show that dealt with supposed ET forces present in our world. Crow and Jason have often stated that they believe we live in a closed system. No one gets in and no one gets out. So how would ET presence be possible? Why do we hear so much about these forces, speculation on what they are, what their purpose is, etc.? Is it wise to just dismiss this kind of discussion and save our thought energies for other topics? Well, yes, it is wise to do that. You know, let's bring some common sense to bear here. Almost everything you've ever heard about aliens of any kind uh, can be attributed to the Tavistock um, social engineers who basically claim the modern uh, ufology agenda 
including the Roswell nonsense. Um, where's the evidence for anything? You've got to have something to base a reason to look or a reason to speculate. And in terms of aliens, we don't have it. Now, I know a lot of people get upset and say, well, I know someone who was abducted or I was abducted. Well, I'm sorry. I haven't been abducted and I don't have any experience with that. So from my point of view, there's nothing concrete to base any of this on. So in my view, it's wasted brain cycles. Now, tomorrow, if an alien landed on the face of the world, we'd have something to talk about. But until then, what are we talking about? Are we talking about ancient aliens on TV, all that hokum? Are we talking about Roswell on the 33rd parallel claimed by the social engineers from Tavistock? That nonsense? Are we talking about the guy who coined the term flying saucer, which was used a scant six weeks later all over the world for the Roswell nonsense? You can see where I'm headed here. I think common sense dictates that there's no there there. Yeah, we have to really keep in mind that a lot of the aspects of what are called aliens and such are social engineering constructs. We've proven that. We know it's true. Now, are people seeing things in the sky that can't be explained? Sure, I myself have. Quite a few people have. But that doesn't mean we have to jump to the conclusion that there's little green men coming to our planet who, uh, goodness only knows, maybe want to eat our strawberry ice cream. Who knows? Well, I can I can add this. Jason and I showed that it was H.G. Wells who started the modern idea of aliens, um, and that kind of morphed out through Hollywood and all these other places. Coming to the 1977 film, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where these epic blockbusters that went into every country of the world furthered the construct. We can further tell you that the idea of reptilians was brought to you by a college professor. I think it was Syracuse University. I don't remember uh, who lifted it from Conan the Barbarian. So when we remove greys and reptilians from the conversation, what do we have left to talk about? Um, I'm sure there's all these people that are going to come talk about the Nordics and all this other stuff. But I would suggest to you that there is a not a shred of factual anything to point to to have the conversation. And until there is, I will just say I can't tell you what could possibly be alive in this universe. But I can certainly tell you nonsense that was created by places like Tavistock. Right. You have to absolutely keep in mind that there is zero evidence for any of these things. All we have are UFO pictures or video, and that could be something, but we cannot jump to conclusions. Anyway, next one is 21 from Michelle. Question for you both. Do you ever consider the unintended consequences of waking folks up? Are you afraid of leading folks out of fantasy-based reality and into another reality that is far worse? especially considering how lost most will be having no real skills, emotional, physical, intellectual, to succeed in a nature-based reality. Well, it's an interesting question, particularly phrased in the way you phrased it. For my part, no, man. I think people have a right to know. If they don't want to know, they can go back to sleep. They can shut their eyes. They can turn on their TV. They can do any number of things um, to walk away from it. Uh, but in my view, it's this simple. If you don't have anything real to base your life on, your decisions you make, then all it is is one big fantastic fiction novel. It's a fantasy-based reality. What is that worth? In my view, it's worth very little. No matter how striking um, the reality that we find, the harder we look may be. You know, take the movie The Matrix, where when he finally gets out of the Matrix, he's you know eating gruel and in this very kind of gray world that doesn't even start to approach uh, the imaginary world he was in. But my point is this: if you don't know where you truly exist, you don't know where you can truly go. And so. 
I'll ask you back. Would you rather be stuck in an endless cycle of fantasy or would you rather face realities no matter how harsh, knowing that once people know about reality, there's a place to go from there? And I agree with that completely. 22, Salvador. If the architects of controls know that only good morals, good deeds, and respectfully loving attitudes will help them obtain enlightenment, then why, with all their esoteric knowledge from antiquity and beyond, would they exhibit the complete opposites of those conditions to their fellow man? What do you and Jason think about that and why? Perhaps the veiled answer may itself lie in the fact that a construct of a construct of a perpetual updating of present names, novo novo archetypes, and false knowledges was weaved for us plebes to hide the truths that the God who may have created all is perhaps emotionally removed of anything that transpires on earth because the good and the bad are all parts of itself and acceptable to itself in the same way. Credit or cash may God... Maybe God takes everything without repercussions to us. Or could it be that the architects know the keys to speak upon after their death and their life of debauchery and ill repute is just the equivalent of giving God a check? Keep throwing pebbles at our windows. You know, recently I was reading some very old, old Hindu transcripts, and um, there were translations. And the idea being put forth was that this place we live Part of what's going on is all these possibilities have to get worked out, and eventually every possibility will get worked out. If you logically look at an idea like this, it's basically telling you that every possibility includes everything good and everything bad. The first part of your question here, I have chewed on for so many years, I can't even tell you. Why would someone at the level of intelligence and adeptship that these people must be that pull the strings be the complete opposite of the things that we accept as virtuous in this world. And I would suggest that is the same thing. Every battery has a positive and a negative pole, but it could be that people traded worldly material reality for other spiritual possibilities. And once this is done, maybe that's all you got left. Maybe you fight for that tooth and claw. I don't know, but it is a conundrum. I am right there with you. It is a conundrum. Um, But I will say this. When I look at this question that you put forward, not being able to answer it as satisfactory as I like, as a live my life. I will not harm living things. I will not lie. I will do the best I can to help anyone who asks or anyone who comes around to listen to what we're doing. And the reason I do these things is because I see these other people going the other way, throwing all virtue, all honesty, all of the highest, what I consider the highest human attributes under the damn bus. And I'm not going to let that happen on my shift. So as long as I have breath, I will go the other way. I wish I could come at this in a more concrete way. But the same question you asked, I have thought about for so many years, I can't even tell you. Spiritual wealth is not measured in how many coins you have in the bank. And it's pretty obvious for the elites that we do see on our mainstream level, I guess you could say, they seem pretty damned selfish to me that it's all about them and what they can do and what they can achieve at the expense of everyone else. Everyone else be damned. So I think that kind of tells you that it's they have a different mindset than we do, and it's a very self-centered, kind of dark, evil one, really. Well, there's assumptions we can make behind all this. So we see these selfish people. We know certainly um, what money does or what possessions or what the ownership of things, you know, what role that plays in all this. But look at what we can deduce from this. So these people have control of armies, planes, all these things. Why don't they just march into any given place they want, put a bayonet in everyone's face and say, do this? It's a very telling thing because to interfere with 
self-determination of human beings is apparently against the rules. And that tells you a hell of a lot with regard to the question you initially asked here. Um, and it also shows you something about what selfishness actually is. Um, and again, it's the main reason why I choose to be the exact opposite. But anyhow, Jason. Number 23 from Doug. I wonder without the moon how much we'd actually age. I've heard you mention the difference in heat, cold, versus shades of the moon and shades of the sun. I'm not sure how to go at that. You know, it's a bit like saying, look at the clock on the wall. If we remove the minute hand, um, how much would we age? It's almost like saying that, except the clock we're talking about is intricately tied to the processes of everything in the world. Um, I'm not sure. I've done work to try to show there were supposed cultures who talk about a time before the moon, but it's all speculation, man. Yeah, it really is. Number 24, House of Joseph. It seems so many famous people die on certain dates that can be figured out in numerology. Has anyone ever thought of using your own name in numerology to try and tell when you yourself might die? Any thoughts on this? Yeah, I would suggest that maybe that's a backwards view. Let me see if I can help you calibrate a little bit here. Most of the assertions we're making um, is that these famous people aren't dying and they're encoding the death. They're using it as kind of a black magic-y ritual. Um, how can I sink this in further, Jason? Maybe, uh, <clears throat> well, let's look at the old song by Sting. Go back and look at the words to that and you tell me whether you think anyone is truly dying. Sting once told us, Murder by numbers, one, two, three. It's as easy to learn as your ABCs. Um, we're looking at dates that are coded to a calendar, probably not even the calendar that we're all familiar with because we know they still track Julian. The Coptic calendar first of the year is 9-11. There's all these other things going on. But in my view, it is just a mental mind warp to convince us partially that all of us need to die around 70 or 80 years. You know, what if we were born in this world and never told we needed to die? How long would a human life go at that point? You know, the mind precedes all reality, and we've all been convinced that you get about 70 or 80 years, most of us here. Um, I think this plays into it because what they do is they give stardom, and they do give it. They, You think about the first time some big rock star is given an album. They've been handed the life of a king, so to speak. I've heard people like Dave J describe that that is not theirs to keep forever. They have to give it back at some point, which also plays into the idea of the fake coded to death. But let's go with that for a second. So they recognize a person that they're going to use to message people. And here we're looking at this big rock star, man. He's only 40 years old. Look at this famous person that everyone loves. Oh, my God, he just died of some common thing. You know, even the richest among us, the most famous among us can get killed by malaria, the common cold or cancer, or all these other nonsensical things. I think it's a mind warp and I think it's a bit black magic-y and encoded to the sky to those ends. That's my point of view. Yeah, I think that's uh, that sounds about right. And that takes us over the top of the hour. So those first 24 questions is as far as we got. You know, Jason, um, should we push a little on the first hour and get a few more in and do the same on the other end? What's your take, man? How would you like to proceed? I mean, we've got over 80 questions here. We do. We have 89, I believe. Yeah, we could do a couple more right now if you'd like. Let's burn a few more out and make a longer first hour um, and try to get through as much of this as we can. And again, just to be clear, if we can't fit it all into the first and second, what we're going to call hours, which are going to be more, uh, we will bleed what people have submitted into future episodes. And I will also state, when I collected these um, questions, I did put a cutoff and people kept submitting and I didn't collect those. The reason's pretty clear, I think, for anyone looking now. We got so much, we knew we couldn't get through it. So... 
Unfortunately, I saw some great questions come after the cutoff. I just want people to know that. Anyhow, Jason, back to you. So number 25 would be from Adam. What about speaking on the crypto-terrestrials? These are a group of ancient humanoids that are terrestrials and are behind UFOs and abductions. The guy that popularized the theory, Mac Tawnies, died very young after releasing his book. He has compelling arguments, and this may likely be the real breakaway civilization that is much closer to home. So I think, Adam, you and I might have a a different point of view on this. I don't accept crypto terrestrials. I don't accept that anybody leaves this place we call our world with their bodies anyhow. Uh, I think there's a hard, fast barrier that separates our atmosphere from whatever is beyond. And again, we've kind of addressed the alien UFO ideas earlier. I just don't think there's a basis uh, for these conversations. And I would point out that if there was something there to look at, we'd see a hell of a lot more people covering it and bringing things that mattered to the conversation. What we actually see is an endless mystery. And as I have pointed out on this show so many times, in my view, a mystery is a mind hook waiting to snag your brain, your mind. And mysteries have a funny way of never working themselves out, just putting you in a spin cycle till the end of time. That's what makes a mystery a mystery. As a matter of fact, whenever I see a mystery in the real world, I walk the other way because I'm not interested in enveloping myself in an endless cycle. Jason? Crypto-terrestrials means that they'd be a separate species, different from human, but still from this world. And a lot of people do talk about this, but I've never seen any evidence to substantiate it at all. It's just another theory to kind of go along with all the other theories. So the, the notion that there's a higher, on the evolutionary scale, species than humanity is to that's working behind the scenes to manipulate us. Well, I mean, it's, it's just as good of a theory as anything else, but there's actually no evidence that I've ever seen of, of that being the reality. You know, we've seen so many things that are nonsensical uh, with regard to the idea of aliens and UFOs that Jason and I have just ripped to shreds in the same way we ripped dinosaurs to shreds. And my problem is this, you know, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. We need something foundationally firm that we can stand on to talk about these things. And I just don't think that exists. All right. Number 26 is from Rebecca. My question, which I would like you to consider, is this. When you look at how great the deception is, you have to wonder if regular humans are behind it. For some time now, I've been looking into the question of the Gnostics' idea of the Demiurge and the Archons. I can't see a better explanation for what the hell is going on here. I would be very interested in your take on this. Well, again, we're faced with a situation where if we go at this reasonably and we really study it and we use the best logic we can do, chances are we're not going to get a lot further or a lot closer to an answer. So what that leaves us with is to make some call based on common sense. And my one rule of thumb in this world is, is if I can't make head nor tails out of a thing, I don't accept it. And if that changes where something comes available to me where I can make heads nor tails, I may choose to accept it or partially accept it or take it on standby till I can better confirm it. And I think that's what we're talking about in your question here, Rebecca. Common sense dictates to me um, that, yeah, regular humans are behind this. They may be almost like a different species than us with the level of adeptship and intelligence that they have. Compared to the average person walking on the street, they may almost seem like an advanced species. But nonetheless, just people like you and me, um, that's where I'm coming from. Now, I have no problem admitting that I have had quite a few spiritual experiences, 
and they have certainly left an impression on me. However, I have never had any spiritual experiences, and I've had quite a few, that have proven to me that one religion or even point of view has it completely correct. There's just something more to this reality than the physical reality. That's what it has proven to me. But I can't tell you what it is or which of these little stories that have come out over the years is actually the accurate one. Well, you know, she brings up Gnosticism here, so let me throw Hermeticism into it. You know, there is an idea by the adepts in Hermeticism that there's a thing called the inverse magi, which in my view is a bit like just saying people who uh, opt for the dark side, like black magicians. And I think we see this in the news. I think we see this in all the fake events where we're told all this violence happens, where it's all staged. So that too plays into this. But to go back to the sky, what if the sky tells us a lot more about this place than we're aware of? It would be a little bit like one side having a playbook and the rest of us not. And on top of that, they are the inverse magi, the kind of black magicians, the self-centered, the kind of no regard for the majority of us. I think maybe that's a little bit closer to what we see, but these are hard questions to answer. At the end of the day, you've got to use common sense. And if you can't make heads nor tails, set it aside. And another question from Rebecca. Another idea. I've been looking into this for a while now, and recently it was brought to my attention again while watching a program series on ancient China about the Terracotta Wars. Apart from the amount of people they would need for making these statues, they also mentioned how the jade carving from that era is now not even possible with modern-day tools. So my question is, did something happen in regard to technology or whatever they once used, and has it been hidden from us? Well, let's go back at this from a common sense point of view. Let's take something simple like, okay, the buildings we all live in and work in these days, for the most part, they're these synthetic rectangles and cubes with glass windows in them. Uh, They're not healthy. There's nothing healthy about them. They're not ingenious. We can claim architects build them all day long, but they're basically cookie cutter. We get very few buildings these days. Even when a real architect goes to town, what do we get? Steel and glass. Um, Not that ingenious, not that kind of awe-inspiring. And yet we can go through Europe to this day and look at cathedrals that were built with glass and stone, where they are awe-inspiring, where you wonder, are there people in existence right now who could still do the same kind of thing? I think maybe that's the allegory we can use here. Certainly, I will never be convinced. You know, a couple of the things that they try to convince us about people who came before us is, first of all, cowboys only live to be 30 or 40 years old. Yeah, nonsense. You know, this is more of that mind, this death-based system mind screw trying to make us feel like living to 70 or 80 is good, um, which I don't accept either. But let's take it even back further. Um, We can look at some pretty impressive things that have been built in this world. We can look at stones that apparently were moved that seem like they should be unmovable. I don't think there's ever been an age or a group of humans that didn't have some pretty crazy abilities. And then to pull it back to the sky, you know— For a long time, I've been trying to place the age using the old Hindu ideas that we would be in. Here's the rub. If we follow astrology, we're going to be told it's the age of Aries because that's when all the definitions put around astrology were put in place. So that's what we use. If we look at the sky right now, we're actually in the age of Pisces or exiting the age of Pisces. If we look at other accounts from adepts, they'll tell us that in the year 1881, we went into the age of Aquarius. 
in each of these ages, there are supposed to be potentialities by the people who measured cycles of time. And I believe this in the same way I believe when I get up in the morning, depending on where I am in the cycle of a day, different things are possible in the same way as if I'm on a rainy day, I might not be able to accomplish the same things I on a sunny day. And that's kind of a simplified argument, but you get what I'm getting at if you understand something of the cycle of time. Having said that, the idea of being in the age of Aries corresponds with the head or the high, higher human being. At the time we fell to the age of Pisces, the idea would be that we we're falling all the way back down to the feet. If we were truly in the age of Aquarius, we would be coming back up that arc again, headed towards the head. And I just mention all these things because there are people out there who have measured vast, vast cycles of time. But I don't know how far I wandered there, Jason. <laughs> Number 28 from Robert. I would love to hear your thoughts on the evolutionary path of Homo sapiens sapien from supposed apes and the contradiction of chromosomes, i.e. 48 to 46, respectively. I draw this topic idea from Lloyd Pye's seminar, Everything You Know is Wrong. It's a hypothesis that my mind keeps coming back to, and I haven't been able to reconcile any of it all these years later. Well, I think Lloyd Pyle chose exactly the right title. Everything you know is wrong, mostly. Um, but here's my thing. I don't accept that humans evolved from anything. I don't accept that evolution is a true thing. I can poke holes in it all day. I can use the the simple childhood you know, cliche, what came first, the chicken or the egg, to prove to you that evolution does not work if you logically look at what came first, the chicken or the egg. Um, having said that, the idea of chromosomes just shows different kinds of life. Um, I don't know how we got here. I don't think anyone does. Or if people do, they're holding it awful close to the vest. But I can tell you certainly evolution doesn't play into it. And we sure as hell didn't come from some slime in the water. And again, the chicken or the egg allegory proves that evolution is nonsensical. Jason? Well, I think Lloyd Pye's work demonstrates that evolution as presented in the mainstream definitely is not accurate. But I think his work also brings up other questions. We don't have the real answer and that's just the truth of it and I think people like Lloyd Pye need to keep doing this kind of work to figure out how things actually truly interrelate because what we're handed from a mainstream point of view is nonsense. Well, I can, I'll add this. Um, from our point of view, being a human being is the apex of living things in this world. We are it. We are the top. Um, so I think the main question becomes what are we going to do with it? Are we going to use the highest aspects that we can attribute to being a human being like virtue and honesty and, you know, caring for everything here, or will we be something else? I think these are the things that really become more important um, because I don't see any good way to know what's been hidden from us just by logic alone. 29 is from Liberty For Me concerning numerology gematria. Clearly, there's a there there. It's difficult to fathom that there's an office building somewhere, perhaps in the Vatican, and all these events are being preordained down to the last college football game. Considering this, what portion of this phenomenon would you consider to be organic? In other words, are we living in a mathematical system which has, has been corrupted by the controllers for their benefit? And if so, can we use the system for good to our benefit? Thank you for your time and consideration. I've been struggling with the sheer enormity of occurrences documented by Zach Hubbard and Derek that clearly carry weight and line up to a staggering degree of accuracy. 
Right. You know, this is this this whole question and and idea that you're putting forward here always plays into the idea of people finally just saying, you know what, it's all fake to hell with it, which I think is a shame to go down that road. Um, Yeah, a lot of it is clearly being manipulated and I've gone down the same road. So what I wake up in the morning and I open out uh, my my email client and a couple alerts come up and say, "Okay, you've got a meeting today. You've got to record to Jason. You know, that's what I get. But somewhere in this world, this other guy's got this crazy ass computer. And when he opens up in the morning and goes, you got to maintain the moon lie this morning, the JFK lie needs some work, you know, these kinds of things. Yeah, it becomes staggering for my money. It's another thing. I don't think we're going to work these things out logically, but to recognize that they're going on is enough. Um, That's the closest I can come there. Jason? I would suggest that things that would make the controllers money and keep the control system going are certainly manipulated behind the scenes. And for some reason, it all seems to line up at least a lot of it seems to line up with the whole numerology thing. Do I think they pan out every single detail? Eh, I, I doubt it. Well, there's there's another thing about numerology and gematria. So they're basically crypto keys in a way if you want to look at it that way. The problem with any encoded thing is unless you've been handed the key, the best you can do is recognize patterns. If they are using some old method um, like basic numerology, then you can get to – some answers kind of along the way, but I would point out that almost every time an encoding method is used and people are coming close to breaking it, they simply change the key and they change the meaning of what's being witnessed. Uh, And then again, all you're left with is patterns, but there's that too. Anyhow, Jason, we're about 20 minutes over the top of the hour here. Um, What do you say we call it? We'll take a break and we'll come back for the second hour and we'll pick up on number 30. Sounds good to me. All right, man, that brings the first hour of Crow 777 Radio Podcast, episode 93, covering subscriber questions and topics. Uh, We'll be back in the second half. We have everything under the sun to talk about, and I am not even kidding. But the great thing about these episodes is it lets you know what the followers, what the subscribers are thinking about. And I think that's a, a key, key thing because it gives you a good view into the audience itself and the participants and the in the conversations that we've been putting forward. Anyhow, hope to see you over at Crow777Radio.com. At the posting of this episode, there will be 93 free hours of content there. No login required. You hit the page. You listen to what you'd like. If you'd like to support us and become a member, that's great, too. Anyhow, hope to see you there. Cheers. Cheers.